Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another episode where I bring on Chase Diamond, who is the co-founder of Boundless Labs. Boundless Labs is a top e-commerce email marketing agency, and since launching in June of 2018, Chase has helped his clients send hundreds of millions of emails, resulting in over $35 million in email attributable revenue. A few of his clients include The Chive, IBEX, Original Grain, Namaste Technologies, and CrossNet. And if you guys want to check out another great episode, I had the co-founder of CrossNet, Chris Medon, back in episode 90. Okay, let's jump into it. Without further ado, my chat today with Chase Diamond. Let's get it started. Hey, Chase, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining Brian, I appreciate you having me. How are you? Man, doing well over here, living the dream. Hope you are. I know you're, you're on, I don't know how your sleep is a month into being a dad, but. Well, to prepare for this, I convinced my wife last night to let me get some sleep. So I'm feeling better than I have been. That's good. That's good. How, how is the first month being a dad? What's, uh, what's the takeaways? Oh, dude, it's so much harder than I thought. All my wise friends told me to wait a little bit longer. I, I wish I had listened. Now I'm obviously very happy that we have this baby and she's healthy and she makes us smile. But wow, we're, we're exhausted. I've been having to go back and forth figuring out like, how do I be the best dad? But how do I also make sure my business doesn't sacrifice? So it's been a lot of learning to say the least. Yeah. It's interesting when, uh, you know, my son's almost eight, but like, I remember when he was, especially the first few months, and I wonder if you'll get to this point. I'll have to ask in a few months. It's weird because you, you're almost around autopilot. Like you don't know if you're actually sleeping or awake. Like it's a, the dream state is really weird. And I remember a handful of times I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking that I dropped him because I got the way I was holding, but it was a, it was a dream, but they were so vivid and real that I was like, Oh my God, I wake up. And then I realized like, okay, I did not drop him, but it was, it's, it's crazy. Cause you know, you're like rocking her to sleep probably, um, you know, late in the middle of the night and stuff like that. It's, it's insane. So. Yeah, we have, we have kind of similar experiences where I'll ask my wife, like how much sleep do we get last night? And sometimes we'll be like, I think we got like an hour and we actually probably got three hours. And other times we're like, I think we got six hours. And it's like, we got two hours. Right. So we have no idea. And sometimes in the morning we take her on walks at like 7am and towards the end of the day, I feel like that, that walk was like a week ago. Right. So yeah. it's so hard to have, track of time in a sense of what's actually reality it is like the time the twilight zone a little bit there those uh especially the first few months yep. um well so just so everyone knows give give a quick 30 seconds kind of the, the the stuff that you're dealing with today from a business standpoint just so they have a little uh, context yeah so uh when i first started my career and i'll kind of just quickly go through this um i started building online communities so i built two or three particularly large online communities one was an email travel series that it grew from zero to half a million email subscribers in 10 months. And it was a very similar business model to like the skim, the hustle, morning brew, um, taking kind of a, a topic and having a really strong editorial behind it. Um, so that was really successful to build an education technology product that I scaled to a couple hundred thousand college students in six months, basically connecting students on different college campuses to others in their classroom to make learning more collaborative. And then I built a couple of pretty big forums. So I took that skill set of building and growing communities and that now transitions to what I do today, where I do email marketing for e-commerce. Um, email was at the core of everything I did, um, both from acquisition as well as retention and conversion in those communities. So I, I run a company called Boundless Labs. 
Uh, we work with about 35 clients. We're a team of about 10 people. And we've done just shy of about $40 million in email revenue for our businesses. So most of our businesses kind of on the small end do about six figures in annual revenue. And most of our clients do about seven to eight figures in annual revenue. When did, why did you realize like building community? Like, is that, you know, I always like to ask because you're a young guy, right? But like your mission, right? Did, is that like, is it building communities? Is it something different? Like what is, what is the reason that you have, because all of these kind of intersect, right? Some of these businesses, what's the reason that you got into that realm? Was that something that happened early on that sparked that or give me a little insight there? Yeah, so when I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, that's grouped under what's called IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. And there's about 1.4 million people in the U.S. that are diagnosed with it. Um, and I was sick for about a year. So I was sick from 13 to 14, just because there was lack of awareness of the disease. Like again, 1.4 million people is a lot. But if you think about the U.S., like that's, you know, a percentage of a percentage, right? That's, it's pretty small in terms of other diseases. Um, so when I turned 14 and finally figured out what was wrong with me, I made it my mission. Like, how do I raise awareness and fundraising for this disease? So that way other people don't have to suffer for as long as I did and they could get treatment and help quicker. So while there's no cure for the disease, there are ways to get treatment and kind of medicine to kind of counteract and put a bandaid on it. Um, so at 14 years old, I taught myself guerrilla marketing. Um, and through that from 14 to 16, I was able to raise tens of thousands of dollars you know, and impact hundreds of people's lives from this. And then I joined the, the, the board of this charity that does about $50 million a year in fundraising. And I served a six year board term. So for me, kind of like as this kid that built this community and told this story um, that was very true and authentic, I, I figured out in college and kind of after college that I could end up help, A, help people and B, make money. So that's kind of been the, at the core and the center of everything that I've done is how do I help people, you know, in whatever way, content, products, services, but also be able to make a living so that way I can have more reach and more impact. How at 14 did you have the wherewithal to, I mean, most 14 year olds are trying to pick up girls and, you know, play some sports and video games and stuff. Like, how did you have the wherewithal to actually say, hey, I want to raise awareness for this. I want to get dollars, you know, donated and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, so it was a couple of things. One, um, you know, some of my family members are pretty entrepreneurial. So I kind of had seen the things that they had done and kind of had learned from them. Um, two, I, I'm the oldest of four boys. So I have three younger brothers. And for me, I wanted to do everything I could as this 14 year old, right? To make sure that my brothers didn't have to face these same things. Um, at the time I was playing, you know, four sports, it was really active. And that took me out of that for about a year. You know, I was probably weighed hundred pounds at the time I lost 15 pounds, right? So I was in bed, you know, asleep and sick for 14 to 16 hours a day. I probably didn't see friends for three to six months. So for me, it was just this like kind of nightmare of something that happened that I really wanted to put a positive light on, right? For me, I wanted to be able to help people that were in the same situation, not have to go through all the things that I did. So for, for me, it almost felt like that was my mission and my purpose and my calling where, you know, while I wanted to do these other things, right? Like play sports and pick up chicks, which obviously I still did. I also made time and attention towards this, right? So I kind of figured out early on that you can do more than just one thing, right? And mm -hmm. if, you, if you set your mind to it, if you have mentors, if you have the right people around you, I think that was really key for me. What, what, you mentioned the, uh, the entrepreneurial kind of family. Do you remember one or two things that they instilled in you early on? Like, what, was it the, 
the self-confidence? Was it certain, um, you know, problems? Sol- like, I'm trying to figure this out with my son is like, you know, I try to put him through some different problem solving stuff. Cause he, he definitely, he's picking up a lot of stuff that I'm kind of sharing, which is awesome. And he wants to like start a business and all, he wants to be a YouTuber right now. Um, but, uh, but like, I'm wondering, is there something that you remember that could be impactful for others? Like what was instilled by your parents that helped you on that path from an entrepreneur standpoint? I think the, the biggest thing for me that I realized and that, you know, I tell my brothers, my friends is like, you just have to start, right? So my, my parents like just pushed me and helped me get started. I think that's typically the biggest hurdle that most people face is they have an idea, they want to do something, but just the fear of trying or actually getting started is the hardest part, right? Once you start and you kind of get a swing of things and get into motion, then it's easier to pick up skills. It's easier to pick up momentum. So I think for me, kind of being forced over that ledge and kind of having my hand held while I started things, whether it was, you know, this nonprofit thing or kind of businesses that I started and some did well and a lot of them failed. I think it was just the ability to have people that had, I looked up to and I trusted held my hand and told me the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have, you know, learnings and experience. Um, just like that mindset shift of like, just start. And I always say like, give something a year at minimum, right? Just try it for a year. Nothing's going to happen in a week. Nothing's going to happen in a month. I think a lot of people are obsessed with becoming some kind of overnight success that they try it for a few weeks or a few months and then they just give up so easily. But I think for me kind of, you know, through everything I went through with this disease and everything my parents taught me, just commit, don't give up, just keep trying. And there's multiple ways to get to the end goal. Yeah. It's actually funny. This just came up on another podcast um, that I, that I just recorded, but it's really that you're talking about that overnight success thing is a lot of people see the after photo, but they fail to recognize that it might've been one, two, three, four, six, whatever years between of, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take action on this and then building that up to actually really going forward with it. It takes time, right? You got to put the effort in, you know, you have to navigate some things you, you shift course, you know, and pivot. So I think that's a, that's a great point. And probably like you'd mentioned over the years, you've had some different businesses, some work really well, some didn't. And now you've kind of found your, your spot with what you guys are doing with, uh, with boundless. Um, on that, on that point, when did, like, were you in that intention of actually putting the, the gorilla marketing campaigns and, um, kind of doing that when you were younger, did you have ever any intention of actually working for someone else going forward? Or like, was, was your thought like, all right, I'm just gonna, I can just start my own business and go that, did that help you get that confidence to be able to do your own thing early on? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting for me. Like I had these two voices in my head growing up, my dad, that was super entrepreneurial and my mom that's worked for the same company now for 25 or 30 years. Right. So I had like the two extremes of my parents. My dad was always pushing me like, Hey, just try, just do things and helping me try and do things. And my mom, knowing that I had Crohn's and she's in the medical field, her most important thing to me was just get a job at a big company that'll pay for your healthcare. Right. So I had my mom that just said, get a job, get a job, stability, healthcare, right? Like all of these things. And then I had my dad that said, just go for it, right? So I kind of had this like middle ground where like I tried things while I was young. So I had that safety net to fall back on my parents. But I also made the effort of my dad to, to try things. And as things work, right, I started building more and more confidence. Um, so in college and right after college, I did work for other people. I really got hands-on experience. I think I had more internships in college than anyone I knew combined. I probably had like eight to 10 internships in college. Um, I helped my parents pay my way through you know, university. So I was always working, always hustling, 
know, I, I played college soccer. I was in a fraternity. I was in business clubs, right? So I was that kid that just wanted to do it all and, and found ways to be successful across the board. Um, so I, I think growing up, I always was a generalist, right? I was always pretty good at everything, right? There was never anything I was great at. There was never anything I was terrible at, but I was always pretty good at everything. And as I kind of got into the career and figured out that I was really, really good at email marketing, that's when I made the intention of like, oh, I'm working for these people. I'm really good at this one skill set. I think if I go out on my own, I can make way more money and have way more fun and become even better. So that's kind of like one thing shifted for me of being like, you know, a really good A minus player across the board in whatever sport or whatever task or whatever business you threw me in. So now I feel like I'm an A plus player in email and hence going out on my own and starting my own business and growing it, just focus, focusing on one specific thing. I think for me, that was the biggest difference. So I've had three agencies. This is my third agency. This one by far is the most successful because of the focus and the intention on being a master of one trade. Um, before my other agencies, we offered every service under the sun. And I felt like when I told people what we did previously, they heard, oh, you do everything. So therefore you're probably good at nothing, right? It's the whole- Jack, jack of all trades. Yeah, master, master of none, that's right. Where today, right? You know, Brian, when we talk about email marketing, I talk about just our e-commerce experience. People are like, oh, wow, like this guy's done almost $40 million in email revenue over the past you know, few years. He's got all these case studies. He's doing all these podcasts. It's really tangible to understand what I do and to, for it to be memorable, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you look at the, you know, and I see this, I actually, you know, it being in software sales um, and, and I actually used to uh, sell products to in-house creative teams and marketing teams and stuff. You know, you see this paradigm shift over the last maybe 20 years where all these big big brands and companies, you know, we're using massive agencies. And then they said, let's pull all the resources in-house and build our own teams. And now it looks like it's shifting the other direction is, hey, I want to get hyper-specialized. Let's use smaller agencies, boutique agencies that really are hyper-focused in one core area. And maybe we might have five or six of those. So it seems like that shift, I don't know if you're seeing that as well, but it seems like that shift is happening, which is obviously you're good for you guys, right? But that you can really market yourself and say, hey, this is, this is what we do. We're great at one thing and we want to be because we don't want to be kind of distracted, right? A hundred percent. So I think I've been in the agency game for maybe four or five years now. And I think at the start, um, maybe four or five years ago, everyone only cared about who had the biggest office, who worked with the biggest clients, who had the biggest payroll, right? Like that was like the cool, sexy thing, right? Say over the past maybe 18 to 24 months, I've started to see the first wave of the shift to like, huh, like why am I paying three or four times more than I should be just because these people have so much overhead and expenses? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't I just start finding the very, very best of what people do and start working with teams that are more nimble, um, that are more agile, right? That are more, they're, they're hungrier. So with us on our business, everything we do with clients is month to month. That basically incentivizes us every month to have to earn our clients' business. Where I notice with larger agencies, they tie people into year-long contracts, and it makes sense from a business perspective. But it feels like they that kind of inherently allows businesses to just coast, right? And again, I, I'm not calling out all agencies. This is definitely not the case. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the big agencies, right, just coast. It's not until the last month or two when a contract's up for renewal that they actually kind of put in some elbow grease. I feel like um, so it's just really interesting to see the evolution and have this business model that really does drive us every month to do better than we did the previous month. Going back to what you said about the focus, how did you come to that realization 
is there any actionable stuff that you could take away? Or was it just one of those things? Like, I don't know, I woke up one day, Brian, I just realized I wanted to focus on email marketing. Like, you know, obviously going from a generalization to focus, you know, that generally takes some time and thought. What was the process for you like? Yeah, it was a couple of things. One, I realized that none of my family and friends actually knew what I did. Um, when I told them all these things that I did, right? No one actually knew what I did, right? So at one point I was working on like a venture studio and an incubator and my mom was telling people that I was working with babies, right? She, th- she heard an incubator and thought I was working with babies, right? So my mom's telling all these people I'm working with babies. Um, someone will ask my wife like, oh, I see Chase on social media posting all these really cool things. Like, what does he, what does he do? And, and no one knew what I did. So I'm like, okay, th- this is a, a problem, right? If, if my friends and family who talk to me all the time don't know what I do, I got to imagine prospects and clients probably don't know what I do. So that kind of qualitative feedback was really helpful for me, A, getting better at explaining what I did and B, thinking about like, maybe I should just really niche down. And when I thought about niching down and really looked at the services that we were offering across clients and the ones that I enjoyed the most paired with the ones that were the most successful, it really was email marketing. Email marketing to me is something that I feel like I'm better at than anyone else. It's something that I enjoyed the most. It's something that I feel like has you know, been successful for however long and it's going to be successful for however much longer. I really think it's here to stay. So some of those qualitative and quantitative things is what made me in my mind feel like I just want to do email. I don't want to sell anything that I'm not good at. I don't want to sell anything I don't like. Let's just go all in on this. And it's been the best decision. What's been, the, you know, so you mentioned obviously the, you know, two other agencies and they probably did decent, I think you said, right? But what was the scariest thing kind of branching out to this new agency, going this hyper-focus? Like, did you already have clients that made that an easier switch or were you starting fresh and like, all right, I got to go figure this out. What, what, what did it work out for you guys? Yeah, so kind of a hybrid. So my, my last agency, the last two agencies were doing about five figures a month in revenue. Now this agency is doing you know six figures a month in revenue and scaling really quickly. Um, but the last agency part of this one kind of got folded or merged with another larger agency. Um, they wanted to keep selling everything. And I had this idea because I was, I, I was kind of a newer partner to the last agency that got like acquired and merged. So I wasn't required to stay. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a really great employee. Um, I kind of want to just keep doing my own thing. Like I feel like for me, um, I'm catching so much momentum. Let's just go for it. So I ended up being able to kind of pull a few clients from that deal that were email related. So it was a little bit smoother of a transition for me. I think one of my big worries was just like, great, like now I'm kind of starting over again. I've got a few clients, you know, if I niche down too small, like how big is the market, right? Like how many clients are up for grabs? You know, how many people want to work with a specialist, right? So there are all these doubts in my head, but I was just like, hey, you know, I just want to be happy at the end of the day. And this is what I enjoy doing. Um, and we just picked up one client at a time, right? Like it, it, start, it starts with one, we got one client. Oh, wow, this is really cool. We got another client, right? Granted, we were selling our services for well under market, right? We were just trying to get case studies and experience. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was scary. Um, looking back, I definitely don't know all the answers, but I'm so glad that I did it. It's been you know two crazy years, but it, it feels great to know that like during this crazy times, and not only did our business maintain, but we're scaling. You know, we were able to employ 10 people and everyone kept their jobs, right? So it, it just feels really good in hindsight. And had I not stuck with it, I wouldn't be here sharing this with you. Yeah. Well, see, obviously you help your clients acquire new clients, right? And get eyeballs. How do you guys get more clients? Do you, do you use a lot of email marketing methods? Do you do something totally different as well? You know, do you try different avenues, referral business? Like how, how do you guys work? 
Yeah, so starting out, we did do a lot of cold email. Um, just because that's, again, we, we wanted to be, we wanted to practice what we preach. We wanted to implement the things that we were doing for others. Um, so what, what I had done is I found this list based off of technographics. So for people that aren't familiar, I basically was able to pull software that people used um, and reach out to emails or send people emails based off that. So uh, Shopify and MailChimp um, broke up. They had a split, um, I don't know how long ago, it was maybe a year ago where the integration no longer was gonna be happening. So I found a list of people on MailChimp that also were on Shopify. And I sent them an email saying like, hey, Brian, I know your store is on MailChimp. Um, I saw the announcement about Shopify and MailChimp breaking up. If you haven't seen it, you know, hyperlink the article, click here. Um, wanted to let you know that we specialize in using a platform called Klaviyo, which helps and is the dominant player for email marketing for e-commerce. Um, we're willing to help you guys migrate over for free if you're willing to give us one month of your service, right? So we ended up picking up probably like seven or eight clients just from this cold email blast, just because it was highly relevant. It solved a need that people had. Um, so we did that early on. And since we haven't had to do any kind of outbound efforts, thankfully, right now we're getting between one to two inbound leads a day um, across a number of different things. So I do do a, a lot of these podcasts. I've probably done about a dozen podcasts this year. And I'm very focused on just providing value and having a great conversation, which in return gets people, you know, reaching out with questions. I answer people's questions, you know, for free. You know, you, you just provide value, right? And things come around for you. Um, I taught a course with Founder Magazine about how brands can go from six to seven figures with their e-commerce business. Um, and, and Founder has a really massive audience. So that's been great. Um, I've just been very active on social media, creating content, sharing tips, um, I started like a newsletter where every week I give away like a guide and copy and I don't charge people anything for it. And then client referrals have been great. Um, clients referring their friends and their family member. And then also to a lot of our uh, brand owners, um, they're serial entrepreneurs. So they'll start one business, you know, we'll be their email team as they start a second, third, fourth business, because we've built that trust and we've built that relationship. We get the second, third, fourth brand that they bring on. Um, we get, we get their business as well. So it's very diversified, right? Like I do five to 10 things and each one contributes probably a lead or two a week. Well, so for the average person out there, again, they're starting a business because, you know, email, right? It's changed a lot, right? But it's still, we all get emails, right? We get however many number of days and, um, and obviously some programs like Gmail and stuff have sorted it better and spam and all that stuff. But how do you help your clients stay relevant? Or I guess even a better question is, Again, folks out there that are starting out trying to build, you know, and, and use email as a as a platform, what are some things they're maybe missing that they should be considering? Yes, I think brands are afraid to send emails, right? Because on the receiving end, I think we all feel like we receive too many emails, right? So I think brands kind of earn this mindset of like, oh, I don't want to spam people, I don't want to annoy people, which kind of like cuffs their arms where they're not sending enough emails, which means they're leaving revenue on the table. So I think it's really important. And again, like we're, we're very focused on e-commerce right now. So talking about e-commerce, I think it's very important to have emails that are both automated as well as emails that are kind of broadcast that touch people, you know, at different times in their customer journey, right? So a new subscriber um, that hasn't made a purchase should be receiving a little bit different content than someone that has made a purchase already, right? So I think it's having a really well-rounded email program where you have different touch points, right? So someone's new to your list, you should send them a welcome series, right? Maybe four emails over the course of a week or two weeks that really educates and nurtures them about your brand. You know, why do you guys matter? How are you guys different? 
you know, what are your mission, vision, values, right? Really just building that bond and setting up this future relationship with that customer. You know, if someone makes a purchase, making sure that you say thank you, being very authentic and what that means to you and your brand. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for your purchase. You know, we started this company five years ago. This has led us to do X, Y, and Z. We really appreciate having you. Welcome to our family, right? That helps reduce buyer's remorse. That helps incentivize these people to hopefully purchase and share your business. That will set them up to kind of leave a customer review. And then also too, like taking advantage of current events, of holidays, of new product offers to send, you know, kind of campaigns or, or manual broadcasts to these people, just letting them know what's going on. And, and the last thing I'll say there, um, and just come from a point of trying to offer value, right? Um, give people tips and tricks on how to use your product, educate them on the benefits of, you know, your industry, right? Like we have a company that makes a, a Merino wool apparel. And a lot of what we do for them is just talk about like sustainability and the environment and how we're sourcing our products, where even if people won't buy from us, they can become smarter and more educated. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're saying it's a mixture. It's not just personal stories. It's not just, Hey, here's what like you did for the, you know, for, um, the whole MailChimp thing, like, Hey, here's a link stuff. It, you're saying it's a gentle mix, right? And you kind of got to test the waters a little bit as well, I'm assuming, and, and figure yes. out what works for your particular audience. That's exactly it. You, you always have to be testing, right? Because again, we've been doing this for a long time and I consider ourselves experts, but what we think is going to work for one brand might actually be completely different, right? No, no two brands are the same. We're touching all different niches, verticals, and industries. And the only way that you find out, you know, what time do I send? What day do I send? kind of content do I send? How often do I send? Is really just by starting and testing and trying. From a design, you know, I, I, one of the things I talk with a lot of folks about is the design side of it. So it's one thing to actually send the emails. It's another thing to actually have to design the emails and make sure they look good, right? Um, emails you guys are sending. I know you're, you know, we met through the, with Chris and CrossNet and stuff and some of the cool stuff you're doing with them. And, but just like, you know, like we went, you mentioned Morning Brew earlier. I still get Morning Brew every day. You know, it's like, that crafting of that newsletter and stuff, how do, is there, I know like there's a lot of platforms that allow you to do some of that, but is there any guidance you'd give from the design? Cause that seems like one of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of people is actually the design of it, not the actual content. Yeah. The, the design parts, that's tough, right? Like we on our team, have, we have five designers, right? Because people are so obsessed with these email designs. That's a lot of the reason people work with us. Um, so, so one question I get, and I'll kind of touch on that is like, do I send plain text or do I send these beautiful designed emails, right? And I think it, it depends on some businesses sending plain text makes a lot of sense, right? So the hustle, the skim, morning brew, some of these emails that are really text-based and editorial, they're sending plain text, right? It doesn't need to look pretty. And they're also trying to inbox higher. Not that plain text guarantees that you're going to be in, in the primary folder, but plain text has been proven at times to inbox better. What I mean by inbox is, right, you have the inbox, you've got the promotions, you've got social, you've got spam. And by being in the primary inbox, you have the highest chance of having your emails opened. Um, so, so there's emails like that, right, that are always are mainly going to be plain text, right? They have some kind of template, but it's, it's very basic and it's formatted so that it's mainly text. Um, with a lot of our clients on the e-commerce side, I'd say probably 75 or 80% of the emails that we send are beautifully designed kind of well-rounded, nice looking emails. Um, and the tw you know, 20, 25% of the time it's plain text. So a use case of plain text could be a customer thank you email from the founder, right? So Ryan, if you had a business and someone purchased from you, you might just want to send them a plain text note saying like, thanks so much. And at the very bottom, you might have like your signature, right? That feels a little bit more personal. 
Um, but in most cases, when you are designing emails, our team uses um, two primary platforms. They use one called Sketch and they use another one called Figma. So they're actually designing and mocking up and creating these emails in those two tools and those two platforms. And then depending on kind of our backend, we either custom code those emails into Klaviyo, MailChimp, whatever platform we're doing. So we're coding those as HTML. Or sometimes we might even just slice and dice them. So sometimes we might just kind of slice the image. We might then have a text block. We might slice kind of a call to action button or have like a native call to action button. So it really just depends on like what resources you do or don't have available. Yeah, that's helpful. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'm going to check those out. I'll probably link them in the show notes as well. So that's good. Um, you know, always, everyone's always looking for the edge, right? How do I, how do I, how do I get a little bit better? Yeah. And one other thing to add, like um, I have no affiliation with this, but there's a, a site called reallygoodemails.com where they have tons of really cool design and email inspiration for, for holidays and for email automation. So reallygoodemails.com has probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of different designs from really well-known companies and smaller companies. So it's a great way if you're kind of struggling to come up with design to kind of emulate and mimic and just pull pieces from. So that's, that's definitely an also a helpful tip. I want to transition because um, we were talking about the parents earlier and I'm, I'm assuming you had a pretty good support system, at least it sounds like from them, but besides the parents and besides family, who have you leaned on or have you seeked out certain mentors or people to help you along this journey um, with these couple of companies? Is there certain folks that you would recommend uh, or I would not recommend reference um, to kind of say, Hey, these people helped me along the way and here's how they did it. Yeah. So for, for me, like I started my career, as mentioned again, in building communities, a lot of that was through non-paid acquisition, cold email, social, you know, opt-in email, all these things. Um, one of my good buddies, his name is Nick Shackelford. He, he saw what I was doing and he's been in the e-commerce space for about six years he, he told me, he's like, dude, in the e-commerce space, there's really no uh, dominant email agency. There's really no kind of figurehead in e-commerce email that's doing a really great job or at least kind of vocal about what they're doing and how they're doing it. So he had actually sent me a course at this point, maybe like three and a half years ago. I took this course on the e-commerce side, right? Because I had a background in email. I really understood email. I took this course. Um, I got a client. He made some intros for me. And I really just got tons of experience through that. And figured out like, oh man, this e-commerce stuff is so much easier than these cold email things. Like I don't have to buy all these domains. I don't have to warm up all these accounts. Like opt-in emails, basically taking people that already have a list and helping them drive engagement and revenue, right? It's a lot more, um, I guess, within the box. Whereas before what I was doing was like so creative and outside the box that it was hard to scale, right? It, it was something only I could do. It was hard for me to train and build people. So I had these aspirations of building, you know, an agency and a company and, eventually kind of pulling myself out from the day to day, right? I spent so much time working in my business that I never had enough time to work on the business, right? So I wanted to be able to, to create this skill set in this company that I could have people that I really trust and I really liked and that I could give an opportunity to. Um, so that's kind of how I transitioned into e-commerce was through my friend Nick that basically just said like, based off your personality, based off the stuff that you're doing, based off, you know, kind of your, your authenticity, like I really think you become a figurehead in this industry. And I just full-heartedly trust him and dove in. And you know, I spent about two, two and a half years just becoming a master of the trade, really learning. And now over the past six to eight months, I've been really sharing with people what I've done because I feel confident about what I've done. And I'm sharing things that not only worked then, but also work now. And my biggest issue was I feel like all these people were sharing things that worked six years ago and that don't work today. So that's kind of for me, um, Nick is just one of the few people that was really key for me. 
So we're talking a lot about the successes of the business. I have, I got to ask, I want to pull back the curtain because yes. I, I know one thing I'm curious about is what's a, what's the biggest pain in the ass for you um, in terms of running the business? Like where do you find the most challenge or struggle or things that you're seeing in the onset coming up um, that you guys may have to jump over? Yeah. So I want to get to that, but I've, I've had just as many, if not more failed businesses. So um Back in the last election, there was this dating site called Bernie Singles, which was for people that supported the presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. So I saw these guys, I knew these guys that started the site. Two weeks into it, I hit them up. I was like, hey, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? And they're like, we don't want anything to do with this. Will you buy this, right? So I think I bought this site for them for like $5,000, ended up putting together a team. You know, we had a PR guy, we did some social media. This site ended up getting millions and millions of people to the website every single month. But I didn't realize and I didn't have enough, you know, insight into like the technical background. So I'm not a technical co-founder. I'm not a technical entrepreneur. So the way that these guys hacked the site together, every single day, this website was shut down. There's too much traffic, traffic overload. So for, for months and months and months, we tried building this back end. We tried fixing it, tried salvaging it. And we almost, almost became like the laughing stock, right? We were driving all this traffic. We were doing things so great. We ended up spending, you know thousands or tens of thousands of dollars after the investment we made to buy the site for a couple thousand bucks into this site. And then by the time that he got out of the election, we finally fixed it and it was too late. Right. So for me, that learning was like, you know, before I buy something that's out of my wheelhouse, like I need to have people, you know, that can help vet the opportunity. Right. I need people in my circle that are technical. Um, so that was one thing that I, I had failed on. Um, Another business that I had um, was in the CBD space, a really cool business called Zempup. I'm no longer affiliated with it, which was CBD for dogs. Beautiful, beautiful branding, you know, incredible product, amazing PR, everything optics wise was brilliant. Um, I had five partners, so way too many cooks in the kitchen, um, throwing out equity left and right. Oh, you get equity and you get equity and you get equity, right? Where no one really had to prove themselves. So for me, that was a massive learning of like, you really need to know who you're getting into business with. It's so important to really vet those people to make people earn it and not just hand out equity like it's candy. So I ended up just exiting from that business because, you know, frankly, it was, it was, it was more of a distraction and it was more frustrating to me than anything. But everyone else was like, how could you exit from this business? It's so cool. It's so great. There's so much opportunity. It's like, I don't care how much opportunity there might be. It wasn't netting me anything positive. So I literally sold my equity for what, what I put into the business and I just wanted to remove myself, right? So those are two of the many failures that I've had in, in businesses. Um, but to answer your question today in this agency, like it, agencies are so people intensive, like, you know, you're basically trading time for money, right? So for, for us being able to like replace myself and my partners and or, where we're not having to do the strategy has been extremely challenging, right? Um, so that's one is like, having to hire, train and manage people, it's, it's so hard. Like we're at 10 people right now. Like if I could be at 15 or 20 employees right now, I would, I would go hire those people, but it's really hard for me to find the right people. I'm either looking in the wrong places. I'm being a little bit too picky in who I want. Right. Cause at the end of the day, it's my reputation on the line. And to me, that was worth more than money. Um, because at the end of the day, like reputation equals longevity and money's going to, you know, if you think about money, it's short term focused. Um, so, so hiring and managing people's one, you know, building processes and procedures for that team, for the businesses too. Um, those, those are, those have been the two biggest challenges is like, how do I find the people and how do I build processes and procedures that allow these people to be successful? 
And how do I remove myself from having to be the leader, right? I think for the longest time, I wanted people to look to me as a leader. And now I'm, I'm focused on like, how do I actually build leaders, not followers? Yeah, how do you change that mindset? Because you've been doing it kind of on your own, right? You've been the lead dog. You've been kind of starting this stuff. How do you shift that focus to, because part of it's an ego thing, right? I mean, part of it's like, hey, it's this is my thing. And then, but part of it is like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to sprinkle the, you know, the fertilizer on the plant, let it grow kind of thing, you know? So that's, I'm just curious how, how you've dealt with that from a mindset standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's been hard for me. The biggest block up until recently was the fact that like, oh, everyone's reaching out to me directly as Chase. And they're not reaching out to Boundless, right? So for me, it's like, in my mind, I think these people are wanting to only work with me, which is definitely not the case, right? My, my team, I've been hiring people on my team that are better than me, right? They're way better designers than I ever was or ever will be. They're way better copywriters than I ever was or will be, right? Um, so for me, I'm just realizing when I have these calls with my team and kind of lately getting this imposter syndrome of like, wow, like how did I recruit these really good people to work for me? And just that all clicked to me that like, I really have hired people because we've been so strict with who we brought on that are just as good, if not better than me, right? So that, that realization was huge. Um, not the answer that you were looking for, but for me, having this baby really forced my hand. Like I am type A, I'm obsessive, like I am such a control freak, but having this baby forced me, because I took a three-week paternity leave, it forced me to, to trust others, to let people lead, to, to do these things. And that was probably the single-handedly the best thing for me that could have happened because, you know, months ago, I thought if I ever left, like the business was just going to crumble. Not only did the business not crumble, the business actually grew. Like we brought on some really incredible clients. The team started, you know, building some really great procedures. So I really feel like I was a bottleneck to the growth. I really was hindering this growth. So now being removed and kind of easing back into it, I'm, I'm really kind of cautious, cautiously and slowly easing back in. So my team has more of a runway to kind of keep building and growing where I'm hoping that I never have to even like be that involved or be that bottleneck again. So not a great answer, but taking some time back was really good for me. So one thing I talked to with a buddy of mine that's really successful about my experience, he's like, there's this saying and there's this phrase where as a business owner, if you take one week off, you, you, you kind of can see what happened. Um, then you go back to work and you try to fix those things that happened during that week off. And then, you know, a couple months later, you try taking another week off, right? Did those same issues get resolved? You know, are there new issues, right? You kind of have to keep like removing yourself for a few days or a week at a time just to see what happens, right? And I know that's easier said than done, but like, I'm going to start challenging myself like every quarter to start taking a few days off just to see what things happen. So that way I know what holes I need to fill. I think that's a the tremendous advice. I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I, uh, we actually got our dad into playing golf. And I remember like we'd be on vacation and like we'd be playing golf and my dad, you know, my dad's a, a GM at a car dealership. He's been in the auto industry his whole, you know, whole adult life. And I remember him like being on calls and stuff like that. I'm like, dad, just chill out. The dealership's not going under tomorrow with you not answering your phone. Like just put the phone, you know, and it's, it's so funny because I think like someone like him in that generation um, is you had to be on like, this, like I'm the, I'm the person here. Cause you're in person, people see you, you're, you know, and I think now the, the optics have changed a little bit. Right. And people are trying to figure out how do I get more efficiency really more effectiveness, right? Sometimes it's not always efficiency. It's how, do, how are we more effective? And maybe you being removed makes it more effective, as weird as that sounds, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's good that you're actually going through those practices and, and trying and testing on it, you know? 
Yeah, easier said than done. It took me two years and a lot of headaches and a lot of stress and a lot of burnout to get here, right? But yeah, um, I feel energized, right? I have time for my family. I've got, you know, the, the team is stepping up in ways that I didn't even hire or know that they were going to do, right? So I've, I've been really pleasantly impressed by the team um, and just makes me feel good about the, the people in place. So I'm feeling more confident than I ever had and I can't take too much credit for it. Well, on that note, one of the things I want to ask you is really, you know, I'm, I'm so big on habits. Um, and, and putting the right habits into practice. So I'm curious, maybe in the even more recent habits, maybe it's stuff that you haven't been doing for six or seven years, but maybe in the last year or two, what are some habits you've picked up that have helped you in this kind of new mindset, this shift? Um, what are some things that you're working on? Yeah, so there's, there's two answers. One, uh, while being a dad, there's a few things that I've done. Um, one is every single night, my wife, I, and our daughter take a, a sunset walk, right? Um, phones away, all distractions away. That's really a time for my wife and I to kind of chat and connect and really just focus on our baby, which just gives me like peace of mind and kind of clarity. So I think that's one um, on, on that end. Um, we also read her a book every single night, right? So that's a, another. So we're trying to instill these practices for our daughter so she could become better and learn off the get-go. Um, prior to being a dad, um, I woke up at the same time every single morning and had the same exact routine. So Again, it's not super early, but I woke up every morning at 7 a.m. I would read for the first half hour. I would just read different blog articles. I would just read different you know, tweets on Twitter. Like I would just consume as much content as I could around areas and topics that I cared about. You know, I would then hop in the shower and then I'd be online by like eight o'clock, right? So I had that same, I woke up every single day, same time, I had the exact same process of just getting ready for the day, understanding current events, being able to speak to my team about things happening in the world being able to tie those things back into what we're doing. Um, and then throughout the day, I would take like a 15, 20 minute break to just go through hundreds of emails in my inbox. What subject lines stand out? You know, what are people doing in the inbox? Oh, this GIF is really cool. Or I love the way that they had this countdown timer, right? So I'm a, I signed up to probably thousands of e-commerce brands, um, you know, lists over the years. And I just spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes every single day just seeing what things I could learn. What things do I like? What things do I don't like? And I just post up notes to my team. Like I love X, Y, and Z and I hate A, B, and C, right? Like that's, those to me were the things that I did. Hmm. I like that. Actually, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're looking at what, yeah, what, Hey, what are some others doing? And then kind of, you know, using that as almost a template, if you will, to say, Hey, well, how can we get better? How do we improve and innovate on this? Um, Cause there's probably, there are a lot of brands doing some really cool stuff out there, you know? So you kind of, it almost helps you do a little of your work early on, right? There, there are so many brands doing so many cool things. Like for me, I've never been the smartest person, right? But I've known how to piece things together. So that way things get done and things are done in a timely manner, right? So I'm always trying to learn from people that are better than myself. I'm always trying to see what people are out there doing, right? Because now basically I have the insight of thousands of marketers, right? Like if I'm on a thousand lists, that's a thousand marketers that are creating that email. There's tons of those people that are smarter than me thinking about things I'm not even thinking about, right? Because we all come from different backgrounds. We all come about from different experiences. So um, one newsletter, one marketer might think about this current event that's happening in this place that like, like, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? So A, it's like learning just personally, like, oh, what things are happening in this list? Like, why did I get this email, right? Are they segmenting based off of weather? Um, because for example, one thing that we do for our clients is like, you know, where I live on the West Coast in California, it's always sunny and 75, right? So for people that sell t-shirts and tank tops and jackets and things like that, you know, we'll send emails of flip-flops and sandals and shorts to people on the West Coast during the spring. 
but on the East Coast, you know, we might send different products, right? So those are these are all things that I've kind of thought that people were doing, even though they never said that they were. Just by looking at what's happening, it's given me so many other ideas. What is I, I'm I'm almost curious just to ask. I, I'm curious your your thoughts on this. Is when you started email marketing, right? So whatever you said, you know, you know, a handful of years ago. What what did you think was the right answer? Like, what did you do you think back then was true, and and you kind of disproven that now by doing all you know, probably millions of emails sending. Yeah, I mean, dude, under, over the past few years alone, we've probably sent hundreds of millions of e-commerce emails. Like in in aggregate across all the things we've done, it's probably closer to like like maybe, maybe like three quarters of a billion. Like we like we've sent almost a billion emails like over the years. I, I've had I have newsletters that I work with that send you know, every single day, and they've got like a few million people on their list. So the numbers are pretty big. Um, the biggest thing that's changed, I'll say, um, which may be related to this question is a few years ago, um, inbox providers, so Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, you, you name it, they used to reward people that were sending uh, high volume email. So it didn't matter, matter who you're sending to, if you used to send high volume email, you used to be rewarded. That was for whatever reason, their indication of who got inbox placement today. That, that script has completely shifted to now it's all about the quality. Are the people you're sending emails to the right people? And by the right people, I mean, are these people engaged? Are they opening emails? Are they clicking emails? Are they doing all these positive engagements? That's how you're now being ranked, right? So I think that mindset shift of like training and teaching myself and my team that like, it's all about consistency and quality today. Whereas when I first started, it was just how many emails can we send? How many emails can we send? Um, so that's been a huge learning and it's so hard to have this conversation with clients because by nature, people assume that by sending to more people on my list, I'm going to get better opens, better returns, where that's, that's not the case. That's been the hardest thing to break in the mindset of myself and my team and my clients. Well, so on that, on that learning part, you know, I want you to go, I want you to put your 14, 15 year old hat on. Uh, and I, I'm curious how you'd answer this, right? I always like to say, you know, you can say one thing back to that teenage boy, uh, but you only have a post-it note to write it on. What, what would you okay. write? What would you say back to that, but that person? Oh man, uh, that's a great question. So I, I think, I think for me and everything that I've accomplished, um, the, the end of the goal was just committing, right? Like just do something long enough that you can get your reps in, right? Um, I can't remember, is that that rule or that law, right? Like 10,000 hours or something. Again, like I, I think if you just commit and you just start, uh, when you look, you know, a week back or a month back and six months back and a few years back, I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised by how much you've accomplished. Like every single day, um, I'm always shocked with like how much I accomplished the day before. So I think if you're kind of proactive and you're just making steps and strides in the right direction over the course of a period of time, you're going to get to where you want to be. So don't, don't, don't look at like, oh, I didn't become an overnight success, but like I am making progress. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing is just, just start, just be consistent um, and just learn. Like I, I'm so obsessed with learning that like I paid consultants, uh, I have advisors, right? Like I have mentors, surround yourself with the, the people. And um, I think the other thing I'd say, and this is not a post-it note, this is now a novel. So I apologize, <laughs> is like learn, learning from others and like your network really is your, your net worth, right? That's what people say is your network is your net worth. For me, my, my saying and my kind of adjustment is when your network wants you to win, you win. I, I've noticed that so much of my success over the past few years has come from people that know and like me and trust me, referring me business, giving me feedback and tips. Like 
I have friends that were literally like screenshot emails I send and things I say and like, like, dude, what the heck were you thinking? Like this sucks. Right. So I have people that are invested in my growth because they like me and they care about me to just shoot it to me straight. Right. So I, I, I don't think, again, I'm still, I'm still on this tangent, but like, I think surround yourself with people that will be honest and critical and feedback. I, I never got good because people were like, Oh my God, you're so amazing. You're so great. Like everything you do is perfect. I got great because people were telling me, dude, like you suck. Like, Oh man, you, you butchered that. Here's how I would think about it. Here's how I would do it. So well, I think, my, I think to that point though, yeah, it's not surrounding yourself with people that are like going to be negative all the time, but it's more that sure. you trust and respect where they, because I think that's what happens is you ask people for feedback. And if it's someone that you don't know that well, they want to sugarcoat it because no one likes conflict, yes. right? And they see it as conflict versus you seeing it as no, no, no. I need to hear yes. all the good and bad and stuff because I want to make it better. And that's the only way I improve. So I, I, I think that's a, those are two great points there, you know, just commit, you know, kind of keep consistent and keep going forward. And then obviously, yeah, surround yourself with the right people and, and network. So Chase, this was awesome, man. Um, God, I wish I could talk to you a lot longer, but uh, man, I appreciate you being on and, uh, and sharing some of your story and congrats again on the, uh, on the little one at home. Dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Really enjoyed this as well. Well, thank you all for joining in on another episode, or if this is your first one, I appreciate you being here and certainly grateful for the listen. Uh, come back and check another guest out. We got some great ones coming up as well. And if you guys don't mind, I'd love a review on Apple if you have 15 to 20 seconds. You might even be listening to this on Apple Podcasts, so you can just scroll down to the bottom and go ahead and leave a rating and a review. It only gets us out to more people, and you know I'm a big believer that all the different experiences that we have in our own journeys, if we share those together, if we get those out, it might encourage other people to take that leap of faith, step outside their comfort zone, and ultimately achieve fulfillment in their life. So... I look forward to connecting with you guys online as well. Uh, my website, brianondraco.com. Hit me up on a note there or Instagram and Twitter at brianondraco. Besides, I'm out on LinkedIn as well if you just search my name. So hope to connect with you guys real soon. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.